Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. How do you think we handle those? Because I'm, I'm always torn because both because I do, we do the writing stuff like at Ordinary Times, like, well, how do we cover these things? But then at the same time, you know, practically, what do you do with them? Because my first instinct with, with wackadoos is you ignore them because everything you, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a grease fire. Anything you try to do to put it out, you're just going to spread it because everything is publicity to these people. Um, what do you think we should do to handle them? Because we can't really ignore them because that doesn't work. You can't engage them because there's no good faith there that, you know, you're, it's silly putty nailed to the wall. You're not going to get anything productive out of engaging with them. So what do we do? Because, and again, like you said, we have a lot of examples on the right right now because they're really loud. Um, we're going to have a midterm election. We certainly are going to have probably bomb throwers on the left side of the, because they're going to see that model and replicate it because it's a, it's a good money-making model. So we're going to get, they already are. Yeah. This is going to be a self-perpetuating thing. How do we deal with this? How do you think we should approach it? You've been in Congress as an intern, you've seen it, although it was a bit of a different error. What do we do? Cause I don't know. I don't, I'm just asking the question. I don't know the right way to handle these people because you can't engage them and you can't ignore them. So what do we do? The easy answer, not really not the easy answer, I think the main answer right now is I don't know. It, it's really hard to, as you said, it's hard. To, you can't really ignore them. And I don't know if you want to ignore them because some of what they says, say and do are, is rather dangerous and you have to speak out to them. But I think maybe part of the answer has to be politicians who are willing to kind of model a different way and to be um, a different kind of, of politician and maybe who are able to kind of speak in ways that kind of can reach out um, of what it means to truly be a leader in, in, a, in our society, what it means to actually govern. Um, and hopefully that there are, are, are gonna be enough people um, out there that will listen and um, start to maybe demand more from their politicians and instead of just always electing um, these fools. But that's kind of what I have. But I, I, you know, it's, I really feel like sometimes we're at this crossroads in, in American society where the answers just don't come easy. And, and you know, I think sometimes we want to think that if, if it all someone says is or has some, some type of, of great saying or if they can say the right thing, everything will be solved. And, and I'm thinking right now we're not in that era where we can just easily kind of solve this or at least put this crazy person in their, in their place because that crazy person is really backed up by the society, larger society. And um, I think we have to kind of sit with that and, and, and figure out what is the answer. Um, because I don't think it's that it's going to be that easy. I, 
would love to say that here's the answer that we can kind of combat the crazies, but I don't know. I, I really don't. We were kicking this around on the radio show a couple of days ago, and I, I, this is a really big thing. So, and but I just want to throw it to you because I just want your reaction to it. Is we were we were talking about? I think we're in a dispensation of time in America that we don't really understand because we've been so focused on post World War II America for the last seventy years, and we've kind of lived on the fumes of that in a lot of ways. And we see the societal unrest because you have minorities and people like that that are 20, 30 years behind that because of the civil rights movement and things is a lot of what we're seeing now. And I'm talking real big picture here, not just politics is a lot of what we're seeing in America now that with social media, with the technology, we're just having a reckoning of what we are as a people and because everybody has a voice and everybody has a face online now and everybody has an ability to amplify and interconnect that we're just having a long overdue reckoning of, hey, this really is a big, very diverse, very pluralistic society. And and there's a battle royale that's just got to be worked out because people are just for the first time, a lot of them realizing that, hey, there's most of the people in this world and in this country aren't like me at all. And there's millions of them. Is, is that kind of big picture what's really going on here is just for the first time people are having to deal with, oh, my little conclave that I grew up with. I'm in a I'm a global citizen now and people are having to try to work that out. And some of them aren't working it out real well. I think it is. I think we have been for a long time and, and the way our whole reality has been shaped up has been the post-war consensus. But, you know, the that consensus actually probably broke down in the eighties. Um, and I think we are living with those fumes, but, every, but and, the eighties were so good See, I, yeah. not to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but that's where no, I no. think that's where the breakdown is because we had the economic resurgence in the eighties. I, I think, and you know, I was a baby. I bar- I remember the late eighties cause I was born in 1980, but, but explain what you mean by that to folks that are maybe younger or just haven't thought of it that way, because people think of the eighties as a really good time in America how can that be where the breakdown occurred? Because things were good in the eighties. We had, you know, pop culture explosion and MTV explain what you mean by that, because it runs counter to what a lot of people think that time was. So explain that a little bit, if you would, please. Sir. Well, yeah. And I think I probably would want to even back up a little bit more is that a lot of people like economists and some politicians and, and um, other experts would say that, the the post-war consensus that was made after World War II, some of both economically and, and politically, probably ended around the mid-70s. So between like 1973 to 1975. So when you and we know what happened me, right around that time. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um and you know I don't really remember that time much because at that time I was um a kid and it was I was born in six, 1969 so I don't remember the, the the consensus and we all know what happened with the 70s economically and all of that um, the 80s I think the reason sometimes we remember it so fondly is that things did get better and I think sometimes even though it got better that doesn't mean that the the consensus hadn't you know that things weren't changing um that i think the economy was still kind of 
changing over. There was still lots of movement of what things were happening. You know, if you lived in Michigan in the 1980s, it was a mess because the auto industry was changing. We were dealing with competition from Japan, but we were also dealing with technology and that you didn't need as many people to make um, cars and all of that. So though there were things that are happening, even though the, I think the, the wider economy was, were, was doing rather well, um, there were parts of it where things were changing. That was also you know, the rise of, of, I think, the tech industry um, becoming uh, greater. So you know, even in those times of change and, and even in the times when, when a consensus has ended, there are gonna be good points. I think that there are gonna be times where things go well. Um, and I think that that went into the 90s um, as the economy was still going strong. It was probably even better than it was in the 80s. Um, where it kind of faltered and where we started to have problems, I would say is probably around the year 2000 politically, because of course that was the year of that election. And then I think that caught up then in 2008 with um, the economic problems and the crash of the market and all of that. Those two things together, I think, really just kind of shattered any illusion that things were still going well. I mean, there was already a lot of change. Like I said, there was been a lot of change going in the 80s and 90s, but no one really noticed it as much because the economy was doing so well. When the economy wasn't doing as well, and then also when Washington wasn't doing as well, that's when we started to see things happening. Top that off with the fact that our society was changing. Um, we have, I think, for a long time, especially during the post-war consensus, World War II consensus, to put this probably in the most crudest way possible, we still thought of ourselves as a mostly white nation. That has been changing dramatically um, over the last 40, 50 years. Uh, immigration and, and other things have changed in that we are much more diverse than we ever have been. And that's going to bring up, bring up a lot of questions and a lot of, of friction. Um, you know, this is why I think why we have this whole thing about the 1619 project when, and all the kind of craziness on that is that we're all trying to figure out, okay, so now we have this country and what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to live in America? What does it mean that we are a democracy, but yet we also have this horrible history of slavery or, or how we treated Native Americans? And so we're all trying to deal with all of those issues, some actually most not very well. Um, and so I think a lot of what we're seeing is, I think you are correct that we're heading into something new and I think we're all nervous about it. And to talk about social media for a second, you, um, I don't know if you've read or heard, heard much from Martin Gurry, um, who talks a little bit about you know, how the media was once, that there were kind of gatekeepers um, in the media. And of course, you only had at one time three networks and all of this stuff. And you know, with social media, now anyone can say anything. And 
there are people who don't like that. They wish that we could go back to what it was, but that horse is out of the barn and into the next county and down the valley and into the next state. I mean, it's, it's just gone. There, I don't think we can go back to what we once were. I think we have to figure out what it means to live now in this era of social media. And, and instead of trying to long for some day that it is just not coming back. it's something else too and not to get overly poetic about it you know i love my country i'm i i'm very open about you know what i think about america i think i think my bona fides are a patriot are pretty well established at this point for a lot of reasons i I love my country part of this that we're talking about is understanding that i love my country other people also love our country but they love it differently and they express mm-hmm. that love differently and they got there differently and almost like a family relationship, not to beat a metaphor to death, but their relationship with the country has different baggage than mine. And they mm-hmm. have different experiences with their country than I do. And it's, and unless you're just going to really do a deep dive into history, which granted guilty because I'm, you know, a history guy at heart. And my dad was a history teacher and made sure I knew all that stuff. Um, a lot of people just don't have, maybe they've never taken the time to understand that, Hey, they can still love this thing that I love. They're just loving it differently and they're loving it from a different point of view. But Mm -hmm. that's, that's some, that's not just advanced citizenship, which America demands of us. That's advanced adulting. And yes, I don't think it's something we can really teach. I don't think you can, you certainly can't legislate it. You're not going to make people do it, but I think it's a modeled behavior and a, and an advocacy thing where we just have to keep pushing people to go like, Hey, you, part of one of the great freedoms in America is the freedom to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if their view of our country is different. And it does, even if they're critical of the country, that doesn't, that's something I've had to mature and kind of grow up about is like, just because they're critical of the country and I love my country doesn't mean they don't love their country. A lot of them are critical because they care so dang much about it it's coming off as anger and it's coming off as frustration and they want things to be better. This isn't just a political thing. This is, this is adulting. This is grown, you know, it's in my family, this is grown folk stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's just not enough people at the grown folk table to talk about this right now because people keep coming with mess and getting sent to the kids table. I don't know what kind of your family you grew up in, but that's how it works. You know, grown folk talk at the grown folk table. That's a privilege, not a right. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that those are the things that we just don't have a good way of dealing with right now of, hey, this is the advanced adult citizenship we need to work on to maintain being a great country. And I think maybe we're in some growing pains or maybe even maybe birthing pains because we're still a young country. Maybe this is just the birthing pains of making a, a great society that's going to last more than two or 300 years. If you're going to have that thousand year thing that a lot of countries and societies and cultures are this is the process is that is that maybe part of it is like we just th- don't have a maturity to it i think it is there i'm reminded and i'm probably going to butcher this but it's a, a quote by james baldwin 
that says, you know, I love my country and I love it, I love it enough that I'm, I'm willing to criticize it. And I think for myself, being African-American, and, and I think that this is something that I've, I've realized, I think, for most African-Americans is that we have, a, have to live with it in a way with a duality. And the duality is, is that we love our country. I mean, there's a reason that Martin Luther King spoke and used the words of the founding fathers and the, and the Declaration of Independence, because this is who we are. We are Americans. That's why we're fighting for, all, for civil rights. But you also know the past. I, I, mean, I know my father growing up in Jim Crow, Louisiana. I know that I have, you know, my ancestors were slaves. So you know that history and you know how we have been treated in the past. And, and you know, to be honest, we're still kind of dealing with some of those issues today, even though I think it's, it's much better um, than what it was. And I think that for people, especially I think for, for white Americans and for, there has been a certain view of America that has almost been perfect, um, that we haven't had any real big issues and, and issues have all been solved. And, and I think that's kind of one of, the, one of the things that are getting into the whole like critical race theory stuff. Um, and I say this knowing that there are things you can be critical about critical race theory, but I think a lot of it is this fear of hearing about things about America that aren't always so great, that we, are, we weren't always the guys with the white hats. Um, and so there's this fear that if I have to see something critical about America, then that means I hate America. And then that is not the case. Um, this is a big, diverse, and I will also say complex country. But I think for all of it, I think we're a good country. But good does not mean perfect. Good just means good. And I think, you know, part of that maturity will come from being willing to kind of understand our past, um, understanding some of the, the parts of our present that need to be corrected, um, and yet understanding that there are still things that are good about this country. Um, now, I, I probably should add on the other side of that, because there are people, I've been kind of basically talking from the right, from the left of saying there, you can have people doing things that are bad and they can still also be good people. Um, that happens too. And we have to, I think, admit there are also good things about this country. Um, personally, I think, you know, the fact that this country, barely 50 years after the civil rights movement, was able to elect a Black man to become president twice says something about us. Um, I think that that's something that we need to also take to heart as well. And so I think it, it, there's a kind of maturity that has to come from, I think, both sides of the aisle of, of being willing to deal with the good and the bad and not kind of have this whatever kind of avatarish view of America. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church in Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you.